Hello and welcome to Film Ireland Podcast in association with Still Voices, an international film festival based in Ballymahan, County Longford. The festival will be presenting films and events from November 9th to the 13th. I'm Paul Farron and in this programme I'll be talking to three filmmakers about their horror shorts, which will be screened at the Still Voices Film Festival. Thank you for joining us. Uh, <laughs> it's really lovely that you made it. Thank you so much. Um, congratulations on your film being in the festival. It's a lovely little festival, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Still Voices. Uh, I looked at the program. Some great, there's a few other great films there I'd look, love to check out. So l- let's introduce each other. So Derek, you start introduce yourself to me and the guys. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Derek Ukuchiku. I am the writer-director of You're Not Home. Yeah, so we're going into Still Voices, and it's a very lovely festival in Longford, so we're very happy to to be included. To get um, the plug in. I like it. <laughs> you guys, you um, tell me about yourselves. Um, I'm uh, Mari Claire uh, Kishnan, and I co-direct with... <laughs> Ryan O'Neill. Uh, we're part of a, a filmmaking duo, uh, kind of an independent... Uh, do-it-ourselves kind of situation so we would make a lot of short films and music videos and uh, some corporate but not, not a lot <laughs> and changeling is uh our biggest short to date our biggest small film and it's playing at still voices uh, it will be the end of its festival yeah it'll be its almost. last festival screen so you've, <laughs> yeah, been, you've been traveling all over have you been around the globe with it a little uh, bit a little bit yeah america uh, we've had a couple of screenings and Canada. Yeah, not not anything in Europe, unfortunately, but it has done a lot in Ireland mm-hmm. in the past year. Can I get both of you to give you a, your brief premise? Because I don't want to give the premise. So the premise of You're Not Home is a psychological horror set in direct provision. And that is it. <laughs> that says it all, really, doesn't it? <laughs> no politics insinuated whatsoever. <laughs> But again, that's it's very strong in its uh, in in its themes. Again, I don't give it in a way, but it's about a, a young boy in, as you say, in direct provision, and how he feels isolated and afraid and paranoid by his circumstance, and it takes on what may be a supernatural aspect or not, or the root of madness. I'm afraid that's not something I can do for you. Why not? Bit of advice: don't rock the boat. Those that do end up at the bottom of the sea. I'm not spending another night in this hellhole. And can you do your premise, guys? <laughs> <laughs> I'll let the writer do this one. Oh, no. <laughs> um, okay, so it's a... Changeling is a folk horror, an Irish-language folk horror based in the... 1800s what year would you say 1879 1879 um somewhere in ireland we're a bit ambiguous with that um it is about fear and superstition um which take hold of a small isolated family in rural ireland Mm -hmm. yeah we're terrible at being concise here (laughs) would it be set around famine time or were you avoiding any specific cities yeah it was originally supposed to be set in the the Great Famine, uh, but we changed it to the Small Famine, the, the Gorta Bug, which was uh, 
30 odd years later, uh, just to play into the inherent psychological fear of starvation and fear of famine returning, we thought that would play well into the uh, the background fear that would manifest itself in some parts of the film. Uh, folk horror is on the rise thanks to um what's who's that american filmmaker uh eggers who did the witch he's brought it back to yeah. prominence um uh, and uh, derek yours isn't far removed from having folk horror aspects as well i mean you've all seen each other's movies yeah yeah, I'm yes. purposely not going to say too much about any of the films because I'll to talk premises and that, but let's not talk about them. A short film should not be <laughs> over talking. We don't. I don't talk about uh, filmmaking in general, and also why you gravitate towards horror because I take it you're not primarily horror filmmakers. It's just something you've done. Would that be right? Right for me, yeah. Yeah, and and yourselves. This is our first horror. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we do have a love for the genre, and we probably will make more horror filmmakers but we wouldn't necessarily call, call ourselves horror filmmakers we're filmmakers yeah. yeah what do you think is the attraction of the horror film it's the big big uh, question <laughs> so broad <laughs> well you see if i make it broad you're gonna come up with something amazing and and make me sound good <laughs> i want you um, guys to talk <laughs> i don't know maybe it's just because of the psychological side of things where people feel like this could be something that could happen in some way because it's like for you're not home we were kind of going using real societal issues to make a horror film out of that so it's just almost almost like we're taking something that we all see in some way or identify with or experience in some way and then push it to the extreme on how things could really kind of like go wrong from a psychological aspect so maybe that's why it's been doing well i don't know <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's kind of like the extremes of empathy, isn't it? It's, yeah. pushing, it's pushing that empathy and then it's a, there's a catharsis in it, I think. I always say comedy and horror have more in common than people realise. It's about pushing certain buttons. With horror, again, this idea of pushing people to fear or disgust or whatever is a big part of it. But a really clever horror films. I went to a great uh, chat with Ben Wheatley and he said horror is not about horrifying there's a lot of other things going on it it tries to make you think as both your films do you also play very deeply within the ambiguities of what's going on you're not trying to tell the audience how to think you're presenting certain muscles and in short films it's did you find it hard to work in a short film that you were frustrated that you didn't have more time you guys first because yours is 23 minutes or thereabouts isn't it it's it's 25 yeah 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 definitely long um, maybe a bit self-indulgent in that regard yeah the the way we made the film kind of lent itself to giving us a lot more time to hone it and a lot more time to you know, delve into various aspects of the story uh, because we made it by ourselves in lockdown. It meant that we weren't waiting around for 
scheduling crew or cast or anything that it wasn't supposed to be like that. It was supposed to be a five day shoot, but where we able ourselves just to go over it a couple of times, uh, perfect it before we actually committed it to film. So um, I found that because we are, because of the situation, uh, shooting it during lockdown, we've, we found that the time wasn't really a, a, a problem for us. The way we, we had time. We had plenty <laughs> Some of Some things short filmmakers don't have a lot of. We yeah. had time. I think maybe that did dictate the overall length in the end. We mm-hmm. didn't feel like we had to drop things to fit into a small schedule. So I think it, it allowed itself to be a long short. Yeah. Did you find that the your budget constraints were, create, were great for you creatively or was it just a curse? Um, I, I think because it didn't have funding per se, uh, I found that that was kind of the catalyst to kind of push it as far as we could within our own means because we were mm-hmm. self-funding it. It meant that we had to come up with a lot of creative uh, solutions to problems that I don't think other short filmmakers would have the privilege to um, overcome because mm-hmm. they would be constrained by you know the, the amount of cast, the amount of crew, the amount of uh, time that they have. So. It meant that the set, for example, we could take our time and just really perfect it before we roll the camera. So the- I think it's inherent though that the, the limitations do they breed creativity. You have to think of smart smart ways to work whenever you're limited. So I think it's yeah. it's it's been a good thing for creativity. Mm. But as you, you sound like you were surrounded by a lot of uh, love and a lot of talented people as well, which is makes up for a lot of money. Was it was that <laughs> Um, yeah, yes, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, we actually shot it out in my hometown, which is very rural, very remote, and family and a couple of local businesses kind of were quite accommodating <laughs> in terms of the amount of time that we had the premises that the set was built in, for example. And the furniture, which was authentic famine set furniture, we got that for free because my father knew someone. So there was a lot of local spirit in the film and a lot of uh, favors that yeah. we might still owe <laughs> but uh, we were able to really stretch our budget because of that as well because of the the interest that people took in it but it also helped that the the, the actors were behind the camera as well that, mm-hmm. that did help didn't it <laughs> well <laughs> i don't know if that helps <laughs> it wasn't supposed to be that way we had a cast in place uh the cast were actually booked in their Airbnbs. They're ready to come down from all the way from Connemara, one of them. Um, but we were scheduled to start shooting on the 16th of March, 2020. Kind of so busy prepping yeah. that we were kind of like COVID in the background, but COVID in the background, and then it hit and we had to shut everything down for a couple of months. So the fact that we're in it wasn't the original. Yeah, it wasn't planned. <laughs> Uh, well, listen, I've been there, actually. I've been there with a, a feature film where I ended up uh, being one of the leads in it just because we understood the nature of our independent filmmaking was not going to suit everybody else's head. And the lesson I learned a long time ago is no one else really cares as much as you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Derek, you, you got some money through Limerick County Council, was it, or through Limerick Arts? Uh, Limerick Council, yeah, um, through the engine scheme. T- tell us a bit about the engine scheme. Oh, yeah. So um, the engine scheme is a new uh, scheme run in the mid- mid- Midwest to 
kind of help support up and coming um, writers, producers, uh, just filmmakers in general from Tipperary, Limerick and Claire. So um, we wrote this, I wrote the script and handed it in and then got to the second stage and then, you know, was lucky to be one of the final six. So six, um, I think from 10, we get from 15, we get shortlisted to the final six. So the final six of us, uh, had our films um, funded and producers and you know the whole shebang to make the to make a short film, which was a great opportunity because lots of us, including myself included, hadn't had a directing opportunity up until that moment. So that was a great way for us to have our foot in the door. Yeah, your your budget was quite low as well. You didn't really have tons of money. I mean, that was a was it a big scheme. You know, no, it wasn't a big scheme, but uh, it was a much appreciated scheme to point that. Uh, but it wasn't a big scheme and we had to kind of use local um, local crew. So again, the whole purpose of the whole scheme is to kind of like give everyone a chance that people who wouldn't, you know, like people like us who wouldn't, you know, have the big shots and maybe bigger cities and things like that. So yeah, it wasn't big, um, but it was, you know, again, some favors here and there and, you know, people coming in and getting local talent and just people loving the story and wanting to to help us out. So that was what we were, how we kept going until we finished the film. <laughs> and yeah, we shot in three days and it was long three days. And it was a bit of an ambitious one. And to be honest, um, but like, and you guys, I said, like, even though you shot over a longer period of time, there's still an awful lot of work gone into into that time. But three days for there was an awful lot going on in that film. Yeah, yeah. How um, much prep was gone into it? So we did a bit of prep beforehand uh, in the recce and everything. Um, so I was working with Greg Burroughs, my producer from Carbonated Comets. And the both of us would go to all the Rackies and then at some point, you know, the DOPs and every other cast and crew would come along. But in the initial stages, it was just kind of going from place to place, looking for locations and knocking on the door, asking if we can shoot here. We got a few rejections and people being like, no, yes, no, and then no at the end. Uh, but finally, we got a nice location and we had to shoot everything in one location. <laughs> that, that was uh, a pretty amazing location. What, what, that was, yeah. that was, that, was a, a, that swimming pool looked amazing. And yeah, yeah. Th- th- those rooms were had a nice eeriness about them. Oh, yeah. We had a production, a fantastic production designer who changed the whole thing. Like you, that was in, we shot it in Mongrit College in Limerick and our production designer would just kind of like change the baseball room to, you know, food court or then the hostels, he would change it and pad all the bunks and repainted the whole room. And downstairs was a church and a school and so many things were going on in the building. Like, so we kind of, kind of walked around it and yeah, we were lucky to have that location. But both films featured VFX, very modest, but very lovely done VFX. did you would you guys who was your production designer? Were you doing a lot of that work yourselves? Uh, that was just the two of us, yeah. Oh, wow, <laughs> um, that's yeah, amazing. both production design and uh VFX was all in house, mm-hmm. so it was uh, production design was a big part of it, a yeah. huge part of it, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of prep involved, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a lot of research as well. We went as far as Skibbereen to go to the, the Famine Museum and Skibbereen yes, to. Lord, yeah to research as extensively as we could 
the type of walls they would have had, the type mm-hmm. of dress they would have had, uh, just to add an air of authenticity to the, the setting. Mm-hmm. And what was the key for you that made this idea one that you wanted to chase and put in so much energy and hard work into? What inspired the idea? Uh, the first inspiration was actually a podcast. It was the Blind Boy podcast. Oh. And I was literally driving home from work one day and mm-hmm. he started telling the story of Bridget Cleary, who was, they call her the last witch burnt in Ireland. And it was the first time I'd ever heard of the changeling mythology. It had eluded me up until that point. And I had to actually pull the car over into an apple greens and sit and finish the podcast. And as soon as I get home, I made MC listen to it. Yep, yeah, and t- contagious enthusiasm. <laughs> just, we just started spitballing back and forth and we came up with the, the story pretty pretty quickly. And I think just once we knew that that the idea had legs and had potential, we just we both became obsessed, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we just had to make it. Yeah. yeah. Plus it, it was probably about 2018 and this was before a hole in the ground and you're not my mother before these films had been mentioned so we we knew that the zeitgeist would bite us in the ass so to speak so we had to get something done before uh anybody else captured this particular folklore on from underneath us and it kind of happened anyway but (laughs) yeah what's the 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 cronin's film it, it touches on it as well um, what's oh, the, hole oh, in the ground hole. hole in the ground hole in the ground, hole in the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and suddenly it, it always happens that way doesn't it no mm-hmm. one's doing anything and then it's the old the old bus analogy no it's no buses and then three come along at once but no yours is very different it still has its own unique sensibility um heart and soul as it were um and i i really wanted to see i want i could have hung around a lot longer in, in both the environments of what you, you were creating do you think either of you might feel that there's a feature film growing from what you the work you've done in shorts not that you should naturally do that but a lot of time that there is that frustration of wanting to do a feature and i could see it in those two films they could definitely have uh deeper consequences as feature films yeah i think we we have feature ambitions not necessarily within that same story but within the realm of it within the same kind of Superstitions. Superstition taking hold of a family, basically that kind of thing in, in period Ireland. Mm-hmm. It would be a lot bigger in scope and it would take in some more geopolitical aspects as to you know why this would happen to a family. So I think it's something we've been heavily researching since we made mm-hmm. the short and we don't want to give away our sources. So <laughs> we're, yeah. we've got, we yeah. have a story. We have a story, yeah. Did you ever hear of a TV series called Rourke? Yeah. It was a it was a, it was a priestly operated documentary series from the sixties and the seventies, I think. But they did an actual, uh, and you'll find it easily enough. But they did one on witchcraft in the sixties, and people doing bold things in Ireland. Have you ever found an egg in your hay in in a barn? It was a bad thing. It meant that you were being hexed by a local witch or someone. But okay. superstition hasn't gone away, and it's interesting seeing how alive it can be even today. And it. <laughs> I just think that um, those changeling mythologies are still floating around in the back of people's minds and hearts. Absolutely. <laughs> but Derek, one without giving away your story, there's one really interesting image of your the, the older brother sees uh, an iconic, almost a, a doppelganger. It's very representative mm-hmm. of his home country. 
Was, yeah. was that inspired by anything specific from your own culture and your own sense of folk stories, or was it just a symbol of him feeling a loss of who he was coming to this space? Um, uh, that, yeah, I, I guess a combination of both. Um, but like for me, it was the cultural thing. Um, there was a part of it for me that was sort of like who you used to be almost like you've come to this new place now, but like you're being, still being haunted by, you know, your old self and, you know, you're trying to shed away that skin and kind of like adapt to this new life, but it's not happening because you're not, you don't really belong here, but you don't really belong there either. Um, so yeah, so that whole costume and everything and, you know, even the music that was all inspired from my own um, tribe. Uh, well, not in terms of the fashion. I couldn't, we, again, with budget and everything, I couldn't find, you know, the right, but like I could find something close enough that still kind of like gives gives the illusion or the, you know, the, how, how, how do you say it? Not to make it exactly, but to give it, give the appearance of something. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so yeah and yeah i don't know how that scene looked in in terms of like audiences but like but that was what we were going for um yeah and dare i ask is that in the story inspired by your experiences here or what stories you heard or there's a combination a combination different bits and uh, so enough i got asked that question uh in the beginning of the film like what was the intention when we see the guy sitting down on a chair and for me, that wasn't the original um, beginning even. It's just, again, with location and changing of the script, but the intention is what consistently remains. So even if we find ourselves changing location or changing, you know, storylines or whatever, the intention still remains there of feeling, you know, uh, uh, what's the word? Stagnated, stagnated, feeling like, you know, that beginning mm. scene. And all of this, you know, even when the idea originally came from someone who I came across from direct provision of course and i had i've known people who had have, you know they've lived their life there for a very long time and i had to do lots of interviews on that record so no one you know just you know and did my research and everything and been there myself and so i kind of got you know from my own side of things having to you know being an immigrant you know blah 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 blah, blah and all of that so i mixed in with all the whole, you know, supernatural elements of things and all. And yeah, that was what we landed in. Yeah. And this is your first horror film as well, isn't it? Yeah, this is my first directorial short film. Um, oh, it's your, oh, it's your debut as well. I thought you yeah, directed another. Oh, that's fantastic. Great debut. Yeah. Brilliant debut. Um, but back to the, the, the process of filmmaking, you both worked with, you obviously you did a lot of preparation, you had your scripts, and then you had to physically go to your space and things change. Was there any happy events out of those things that I suppose we touched on a few in terms of how you start realizing you can use a location differently or suddenly things aren't as far or near? The, you, you guys, as you say, you've got a, a very strong sense of your, your location and your place because you're from there. Was that a huge help in the end? I think we were originally looking for a, a standalone actual cottage that we could shoot in. So we kind of had to pull it back and realize that it wasn't really feasible. We weren't finding an actual cottage at all that we could shoot in. Nothing accessible or safe, especially considering that we were planning to have uh, an infant in the space. 
And the way it worked out, we didn't have an infant in the space at any time. So that was more to do with COVID. But mm-hmm. the way we had originally planned, one of the reasons why we had to go about making a set was safety as well. Having an open fire, having a child, having people coming and going and sitting waiting for us to set up because we're scouting crew as well. So um, I feel like the the, the limitations... It was uh, almost like a blessing in the end. Yeah, I think it worked out better. Um, obviously, the original intention is this isolated house out in the middle of nowhere. And we found a shell of a building that we built upon in BFX. But having to then kind of go back to the drawing board and kind of look at the script and, and think, how do we how do we simplify this? So even just containing the, the script a bit more in that one location that was kind of that came later in the process. We were going to have all these other kind of mm, yeah. exterior shots that just didn't work out. So yeah, lots of steady cam work and like roads and more extras and things like that. So because of the way it worked out, it had to be stripped right down in terms of everything. Really, I kind of forget what the question was. Uh, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> you, you kind of answered it because it's it's a bit this kind of restrictions kind of make they create. They, they shouldn't diminish. They should actually make you fire up and go, no. Sometimes, you you know, sometimes you put out four pages that you was, you put loads of work into, and if you shot the four pages, it would have meant another whatever, 200,000, and they go, and it makes the film better. <laughs> yeah. 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 A couple of incidents of that, I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we could have kept shooting. It would have just been a feature in the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you, we you, you, you have the energy. You have the energy for it. There's no doubt, and the talent. So, yeah, who knows? <laughs> Maybe the, the next one will be done that way as well. You know, I don't Maybe. think you let, let anyone stop you. But tell me this: did it, did it change much from its original concept? I don't think it did. I think we we kind of settled on a story pretty pretty early. We settled on on the famine era. Um, we were going to maybe feature a little bit more of the famine, but it didn't need it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it kind of, it's been set in its concept and its story for, for quite a while, we kind of. Yeah, you know. because it's kind of based on a lot of accounts of changeling infanticide. Um, I think because of the research that we put into it, we wanted to keep the story as true to the actual events uh, that are recorded as possible. So it didn't leave a lot of leeway for adding anything else in, in terms of character and things like that because it was already set from the historical context. But I think um, I think we stuck pretty pretty close to our original vision as well. Whenever from script, I think if you were to read the script and watch the film, it it's, yeah. it's so close. Mm-hmm. You know, there were, I, I, there wasn't much that we deviated from. Yeah. And you, Derek, did you find that things were changing much as you went shoot? I mean, your three-day shoot, again, is that's a fast turnaround, for, especially the amount of energy and work that I saw on on screen. You know, there's no... But was it was it a much change script by the end of it, or did you just no, stick to your was, blueprint? You didn't have yeah, time no, to be mucking around with it. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was very much... Uh, we, we had, like, part of the scheme, we had, like, editors and mentors and blah, blah, blah. So we had a lot of work through... Um, it was just the end beginning scene that got changed um, just because of the location that we had, but it's the stories remained the same. The intention remained intact. Yeah. 
they say that uh, shooting a film is like putting down train tracks for a moving train. <laughs> I think that's proof of that. So, um, are you gonna? You guys are going to be at the festival. Are you going to go down for it, or? I don't think we can make it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's possible we won't. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately. And um, you, you said you're at the end of your journey with the festivals. Are you at the beginning, Derek, or are you have you shown them any? Yeah, well, we're still at, we we only had our first premiere, our premiere in a uh, Galway. That was in July, so we're still so pretty much in our first yeah first year. Um, yeah. And, and to tell me, guys, what's the festival scene like these days? Is it exhausting in terms of getting into festivals? And uh, it, it's it's a tough. It's, it seems to be more festivals and films out there sometimes. Yeah, yeah. There's a variation in festivals. Uh, sometimes they surprise you. Sometimes they're excellent, and the communication and everything's excellent. Um, and then sometimes you kind of get lost in the mix, depending on the size of the festival. But I, I do find that the Irish festivals are very welcoming mm -hmm. and very communicative and they'll support you and they'll promote you. Like even look at what we're, what we're doing now for Still Voices. It's just, uh, it's great to be part of it. Uh -huh. uh, but with uh, some festivals, you're sending it off to America and it's playing in a bar and you, you know, you, you don't get any real sense of what happened or how people received mm -hmm. it. So it's it is great to go along though, whenever you get the opportunity. Yeah, it, it is a tougher game though, isn't it? There's so many films being made. Uh, you are ahead of you, Derek. You should get in touch with these guys and get some tips. Yeah, I can. I I, I understand everything they're saying, well, and I agree with the it, Irish. I think the main distribution is Film Freeway now, isn't it? Don't they handle mm. a distribution thing? So uh, finally, horror movies. It's Halloween. I know there's a lot of horror films down here. Uh, there's another one that a few of those I'd love to get to have a look at. Um, you said you love your horror films. So, what would be inspirations for you, horror-wise? What's your horror pick that you would recommend to people? I want to hear some horror films. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you go first. <laughs> I don't know. Do I fall back on an old classic? Because uh, for me, I I can't get sick of The Shining. You know, that's that's a classic for me. <laughs> yeah, well, I would agree. I saw a fantastic alternative top five list today on YouTube on Cinefix, and they mentioned The Shining. But they said in an alternative universe, if there wasn't The Shining, they said what would be the movie? And they picked a beautiful film actually in its place. And I don't know if you remember it. There was a great '60s film based on Turn of the Screw called The Innocents. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend seeing that film because it's in the it's it's in the realms of your folk horror in terms of where it's playing it. Is it madness or is it the supernatural? And it's a brilliant book. You know, it's, I don't know if you you read much horror or old stories. Um, it's it's not M. R. James. It's the other James, the American. Um, it's called Turn of the Screws, the original book. But The Innocence that that is an an absolute joy. It came around five years before The Haunting, which was a Robert Wise, which is another great ghost film. What about you, Derek? What's your horror movie to recommend for uh, people listening in today for their Halloween choice? Oh, Hereditary would be number one by Ari Aster. That's a nice yeah. one. That was second on our list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I find myself. There's a. I'm going getting old school these days. I'm. I find. That I think of all the films in the last ten years, horror wise. I think the best for some. I don't know why. Is it, for me? Is it follows. It's just oh, a very yeah. simple principle and idea. It yeah. didn't over egg it 
and it scared you as a horror film and it didn't force any of its issues into the mix in that in that way that i see in a lot of horror films these days mm-hmm. uh, I, I thought that was great i hope they never make a sequel to that because it'd be can you imagine how atrocious <laughs> yeah. that would be uh, another favorite is a, it's much older now i think is it 2004 the descent yeah Neil Marshall, isn't it? Ah, oh, it's the best thing he ever did. Definitely the best yeah. thing he ever did. Yeah, guys, fantastic work. Really, really impressed. Uh, loved every bit of it. You did beautiful things because from making films myself, I know what goes into it. So I got a really, I watched them and I was really appreciating the creativity and the craft that went into them. So I couldn't get over what you guys achieved on Little or Nothing. I thought it was amazing. Well, but, oh, we have one final question for you guys about your film. You chose to shoot in four three. Was that a big choice or was it sudden or was it an argument? What happened there? It wasn't an argument at all. No, we uh, um, we went to the 4-3 um, not to completely emulate The Witch by Robert Eggers, but to create that style of uh, claustrophobia yeah. within the cottage, especially. And one of the big influences on that choice and the choice of camera and the choice of lighting and everything was come and see the Russian war film. Oh, with, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Which is you know, a, a horror, horror film. film. Yeah. It, is, yeah, it yeah. is a horror film. There's no doubt about it. Um, yeah, and that beautiful kind of washed look to it, if that's, if that's the right way of saying it. Uh, and your, your cinematography choices, what, what, what was what was guiding you with your cinematography, Derek? Oh. Um, I just told Evan Barry, our amazing cinematographer, that we wanted it to look as, you know, intimidating, suppressing, and just everyday look to it, just to look like exactly what you'd see from that part of the, you know, life. And yeah, so I just let him choose, and that was what we got, and I loved it. <laughs> see, that's that's good directing, that is. No when someone else has the skills to pull off your vision and then claim it. <laughs> you didn't claim properly, though. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to say to Derek that I really enjoyed his film. Just yeah, yeah, really, really, really enjoyed it. <laughs> we we were a wee bit intimidated oh. yeah. coming onto this. Yeah. <laughs> the two films that you guys have made, it was like yeah, yeah. so yeah, very excellent. impressed. And that's your debut. Oh, you. It's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> thank you so much. I was going to say right back at cheers just before we ended. I loved your location. I didn't even know you were the one in the movies. Like did an amazing <laughs> job in front and behind the scene. I loved the story. I even not to give anything away, but I didn't even just now you said it. I completely didn't even realize I never saw the baby, which was such like so interesting because yeah, and I saw the location and how you built your set, and to hear that you all did it yourselves, I have utmost respect and admiration. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and I have to say, I was so glad they were good films because <laughs> <laughs> I had to sit here and talk to you guys. Guys, congratulations on your work. Uh, I hope, look forward to your next project, both of you. I hope you get out there in, and do that frustrating global trek with your film, Derek. And, <laughs> good luck with the results you get from, from uh, the work you've done as well. Uh, thank you so much. I'll like a big shout out and thank you to uh, the Still Voices Festival for having us uh, talk on, on this podcast and for having your films. And uh, I look forward to meeting you sometime down the line again, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Thank you very much. The 2022 Still Voices Film Festival takes place in Ballyman from the 9th to the 13th of November. 
So take a look at the program at stillvoicesfilmfestival.com.